This is Joel Johnson, Senior Minister at Parkview Christian Church. I want to thank you for listening to our sermons online. If you have any questions, feel free to contact me by email at joeljohnson at parkviewfinley.org. Well, we've been talking all about Christmas classics in our sermon series for the holidays. What is it that makes a classic? We've been talking about the, the enduring quality that really solidifies something as a classic. We talk about Christmas movies, the, the classics that are a part of our celebration. We've talked about uh, Coke classic and Coca-Cola's intention to change their formula and realize they needed very quickly to go back to the original and they brought about Coke classic. We haven't yet talked about Christmas music though. The classic songs of the holidays. There's something about music that just ties right to our emotions. It just, it almost bypasses the, the intellect and goes straight to the heart. And, and there's something about rhythm, something about music that just gets you moved. I don't, I don't know about you, but when I hear a great rendition of Feliz Navidad, I just can't help but dance to that song. If you see me shopping in the holidays, you're probably going to see me moving more than you would expect. I would apologize, but I'm not sorry. It just happens. You got to go with it. I don't know what music around the holidays you love to listen to. I know there are, there are debates about Christmas music. Most of the time, the debate is about when to play Christmas music. I've heard conversations from many of you about shopping in retail stores, hearing Christmas music playing, and, and adamantly saying, this is too soon. It's too early. But, but retailers have discovered the connection that music has to our hearts. And when they put out Christmas merchandise... I have discovered they begin playing Christmas music so that when we're feeling in the spirit of Christmas, we will see Christmas decorations and think, I need to buy that. And that music motivates us to purchase things that we don't want or need. They're on to us in a very clever way. Now, whether or not you like hearing Christmas music early or not, the debate in our house is irrelevant. There is never a bad time for Christmas music. My wife is notorious when we're on vacation in the summer driving to open up the playlist on Spotify of Christmas music and keep us awake while we're driving. There is no bad time for Christmas music in her eyes. So I'm thinking about all these classics. What, what is it that makes a classic? And I realized we have, we have missed a category of classics, classic cars. I know some of you are, are car guys. You, you know, we say the word classic and immediately you're thinking of vehicle. I'm not a car guy, so I don't, wanna, I don't want to display my ignorance, but here's what I found out. Not every old car is a classic car. There are different classifications of vehicles that are older. A commonly applied rule is that classic cars are 20 years old or, or more. Antique cars are 45 years old. Vintage cars are those built between 1919 and 1930. It's amazing how many categories there are for old things. I remember when I was a kid visiting family for holidays, I used to think this way about my relatives, classic, vintage, antique. You have to be careful about how you, how you classify things. So now I'm thinking like, well, if we're going by years, what, what category am I in? I don't think I like these designations, but it depends on who you ask. If you ask an IRS agent what a classic car is, they would say any car that's aged at least 40 years. But that's because they're looking very specifically at exemptions that you're claiming on your tax return. 
So if you're a car guy, you're thinking classic cars, you, you probably have a make and model in, in your mind. You're probably seeing a vehicle moving down the road. You're thinking about wind whipping through your hair or whipping through the lack of hair as you're driving along, along in this wonderful, beautiful, classic car. Classic cars, for me, bring to mind the, the journey, the drive, the joy of, of cruising and all the play in the steering wheel when you're driving straight down the road and instead of holding your steering wheel straight, you're doing this just to make sure you stay on the road. My dad had a van that when we drove around, literally he would just drive like this all the time and we were going straight. <laughs> but I think about the, the joy of, of travel, of seeing sights, of, of being together as we move from place to place. And, and I think that's a perfect picture of where we're going today in our sermon as we continue in the story of the birth of Jesus, is thinking about the journey, thinking about the pursuit. We're going to turn together Matthew chapter 2. If you have a Bible with you and you want to open up there, please do so. The words will be on the screen behind me. If you have the YouVersion app, you can use a phone or tablet, open up the Bible app, the YouVersion Bible app. Search under events for Parkview Finley and find scripture and sermon notes there. Let's read beginning in verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we've come to worship him. Now these, these Magi were on a journey. They, from the east, saw a star. Not a normal star of a constellation. This, this is a very specific kind of star, a, a significantly bright star leading them west. A star that they would have read about, would have understood, had, had meaning, significance. And they came pursuing this baby that was born king of the Jews. We don't know what, what text they read. We don't know if they're they, they're reading from Old Testament scripture and piecing things together. We don't know if they have other prophecies from other places. We don't know if they have been given some kind of vision. All we know is that these, these wise men, these learned men from far away have discovered something significant happen, happening, and they have decided that they're going to travel to see what it is. They're going to gather the supplies that they need. They're going to ready themselves for a journey, not just down the road to see what's going on. They're traveling for miles. They're preparing for, for months away from home to discover this baby born king of the Jews. They're stepping away from their homes. They're stepping away from their people, and they're prepared to travel into an unknown land travel amongst an unknown people. And they come into the region and just say, hey, where, where is this baby? Where is this, this one who is born king of the Jews? They don't, they don't know exactly where they're looking. They're following the star, which is probably very general, very, very large area where they come to and think, okay, it's somewhere here, but we have no idea where. Maybe we need some help finding him. They have, they have traveled into the unknown. And I realize as we, as we think about what it means to pursue Jesus as, as Lord and Savior, for each of us, pursuing him calls us into the unknown. When we want to make Jesus a part of our lives, when we accept him as Lord and Savior, when we surrender to him, we are leaving behind the known and stepping forward into the unknown. We're leaving behind a, a way of life, a, a collection of habits, a particular kind of language that we use. Uh, perspective, and attitude. We, we're, we're choosing to leave those things behind, to step into a relationship with Jesus. And, and when we do that, that, that initial decision, we don't know what that life looks like. We have no idea what it means to become a Christian, to, to follow after Christ, but we're willing to. We're willing to say, I'm going to leave these things behind to 
pursue Jesus. And even though I don't know what that looks like, I'm willing to give it a shot. I'm willing to go where I haven't been before. I'm willing to let him change me and lead me and guide me, even if that means stepping into the unknown. But the unknown is difficult. The unknown is frightening. Have you noticed how frightening the unknown is? We think about the future, the events that we don't know how they're going to unfold, and that's unsettling. It creates a bit of anxiety. We make all the plans that we can. And what happens to those plans? Life happens. And, And unexpected things come into play. We don't know what's happening in the future, and the unknown is is a little frightening. We go into a dark room, and the light doesn't work, and we think about stepping into that that dark room. There's a little bit of fear there. I don't know what's in the dark. I don't know what's waiting for me there. We're we're always a little cautious about the unknown, and when it comes to pursuing Jesus, even when that, that life calls us into the unknown, we have to be willing to get over those fears, to move past those anxieties in order to pursue Jesus. When you think about life today. There's very little that we would classify as unknown. We have so much information at our fingertips. It's overwhelming. The kinds of things you can look up and find out. There are facts and figures, information all about every topic you can imagine that you can look up and have in your hand right now. What are the things that we don't know? Well, we, we don't know about the spiritual, the things of God. Those are things that we don't know. We don't have facts about those because that's a matter of faith. And stepping into the unknown, stepping after, pursuing the Savior, means stepping over our fears and, and diving into the unknown, pursuing Christ in a place where we don't necessarily know what that will look like in the future. We don't know where exactly he's going to call us. So when we pursue Jesus, we have to leave behind what we know and move into the unknown. And overcoming that fear is difficult. The Magi were willing to do that as they sought out the king of the Jews. The story continues in verse 3. When King Herod heard this, heard what? When he heard about the Magi who traveled from the east and were looking for a king of the people of Israel, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests, teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. And so we have this collection of individuals who each have bits and pieces of information about the Messiah. They all are coming from different perspectives. They all have different attitudes. They all have different motives in this pursuit. And we see how those motives affect their connection with Jesus. We need to evaluate our motive for pursuing the Savior. We have Herod, who's disturbed by the idea of of a king born to to the Jews. Why? Because he's the ruler. (laughs) And if there's a king born of the people of Israel, that's a threat to his power. Yes, he's disturbed by that, and the other people around him are disturbed. Why? Because they're dependent upon his power as well. He calls around him the religious leaders, the people of Israel. Tell me about this Messiah. Where, where is he going to be born? And what do they have? They have all the information. Yeah, we have this prophecy. This is part of the Old Testament. This is what we study night and day. We know it inside and out. He's coming from Bethlehem. Are they in Bethlehem? No. Are they ready for the Messiah? No. They are so proud. So arrogant in their information, so self-righteous. It's almost as if they're waiting for the the Savior, the Messiah, to come and present himself to them. And then Herod calls to him 
the Magi who have come from the east. Tell me, tell me about when you saw this star. And they give Herod all the information that he wants. Are they concerned about his motives? No. They are excited to go and see this baby that was born. They are prepared. Each one of the people in these different groups has information. They're, they are interested in Jesus or not interested in Jesus. They're all coming from different places, different perspectives, different motives. When we pursue Jesus, sometimes we do that from different positions, from different perspectives, with different attitudes, with different motivations. Sometimes we begin to pursue Christ because we have big questions in life. Because we want to know why. Because maybe we're angry about the way things have come about. Maybe we have had to deal with significant loss and we can't possibly understand why that happened. Maybe we've been through a really difficult time and we can't understand what God is doing. We can't understand his timing. And we come to God angry with these questions that we want answered and we're pursuing God. We're pursuing Jesus. We're pursuing him to get answers to our questions that we want answered right now. And yet we're still pursuing. Sometimes we come to God Not because we think it's necessary. We're, we're involved in this process because someone close to us thinks it's necessary for us. There are heavy expectations. There are constant comments. There, there is this pushing continually to, to come to church, to be a better person, to let God change our lives. And we come seeking after Jesus reluctantly because of the weight of all of these expectations. But still, we're, we're pursuing. There are times when we, we pursue the Savior. Because we know there's wrong that we've done that we can't overcome. There is this burden of guilt and shame that haunts us, that dogs us every day, everywhere we go. And we want to be free from that guilt. And we've tried other things, and nothing relieves that pain. And so we begin pursuing Christ. We begin pursuing his Savior. There are some of us who have heard of the peril of hell, the eternal torment that comes for those who don't believe. And we begin pursuing Christ because we don't want to go there. And we know, deep down in our hearts, what we're seeking is a get-out-of-hell-free card, and we're going to do what is necessary. We're going to go through the process. We're going to say the things. We're going to do the things so that we can receive this card and not have to go to hell. And that's why we're pursuing Jesus. But we're still pursuing. There are others of us who have a lot of information stored up in our brains. We have access to, to facts and figures. We love hearing philosophy and reading theologians and, and listening to podcasts. And we have all this information at our disposal. And we've, we've gathered so much information that we've just come to a place where we don't really feel like we need a Savior. So why, why pursue? Why investigate when we have all the answers? There's nothing outside of us that we need. And we get to a place of, of pride, a place of arrogance that we just decide it's, it's not necessary for us. There's others of us who, who just get to this point of indifference. 
uh, pursuing the Savior would be such a distraction from the work that I have to get done. Why, do, why would I invest that kind of time in something so meaningless, something that's a distraction? And we live indifferent to the presence of God in our lives. We all come from different positions in this world, with different attitudes, with different motives in our hearts. What we need to do is see the value of pursuing the Savior, not for what he can give to us, but because his presence changes us. We need to begin pursuing a relationship with the Savior to belong to him, to live for him, to live with him, to experience what life looks like, devoted to him, surrendered to him. And there are many who, who begin pursuing Jesus for the wrong reasons, and somewhere along the way, their hearts are changed and drawn to the Lord. It doesn't always happen. There are some who begin the pursuit of Jesus for the wrong reasons, and they focus only on what they want to hear, and they exclude all the things that could change their hearts, and they, they get so zeroed in on only the things that suit their mindset, and they push Jesus farther and farther away. When we pursue the Savior, we have to consider our motives and allow him room in our lives to work. Allow him room to change our hearts, to open us up to who he is and, and reveal to us the value of just being with him. In the book of Jeremiah, we read prophetic words of God to his people who are in captivity. In chapter 29 and verse 11, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. You know that verse. Well, right after that very well-known verse, God says to his people through the prophet, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I'll bring you back from captivity. Their hearts mattered in that process. Now, we aren't enslaved by a foreign power, but when sin takes hold of our lives, we find ourselves held captive to that lifestyle. And when God meets us there, he says to us, I know the plans I have for you. And I want to bring you out from captivity to sin. I want you to seek me and find me. But when you seek after me, I want you to seek me with all of your heart. I want you to be fully invested in this process. And when you come after me, I will be found by you. Is what God says. It's like playing hide and seek with a toddler. He wants to be found. Have you ever done that? Have you ever played hide and seek with a little kid? And they get so excited that even though they're really well hidden, you have no idea where they are, they just giggle. <laughs> Oh, I wonder where you are. This is what it's like to pursue God. We, we go on this chase. We, we begin looking for him, trying to discover, searching through texts, finding big old books to leaf through. And what do we find? God is waiting to be found. He is wanting you to see him. He is showing himself to you, waiting for you to give your heart to him, waiting for you to pursue him with all of who you are so that he can be found by you. But our motives matter in that pursuit. The story continues in verse 9. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. This is the, the Magi. They had just met with King Herod. They told him when they saw the star. After they heard the king, they went on their way. The star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary. And they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. They 
found Jesus. Their pursuit paid off. They stood in the presence of Jesus and they worshiped him. They presented him gifts, gifts that had meaning, gifts that validated his identity. And they, these, these very wise men who had traveled a long way stood before a baby and worshiped this baby because they understood who he was born to be. They were blessed by the presence of Jesus. They were blessed by finally attaining the result of their pursuit. It was fulfilling. It was life-changing. It was this, this moment that they would remember and talk about for the rest of their lives. And they would continue learning and discovering and pursuing. When we pursue Jesus as the Lord and Savior, we don't get to the place where we find him, where we accept him, where we repent of our sins and are baptized in his name. And we, we get to this place and we say, I, I have found Jesus. Now I can move on with the rest of my life. We don't do that. The, the pursuit isn't about finding a prize, knowing you have the prize and moving on to something else. Life with Christ is about living for him, about continually pursuing him and learning about what he does in us on the journey. That's what it is to pursue Christ continually. And as we continually pursue Christ, we're continually blessed by pursuing the Savior. On that journey, he, he grows our hearts and develops our hearts. On the journey, he helps us understand what, what that relationship with him does to us as he changes us completely from the inside out. He helps us see how that relationship with him blesses our relationships with other people. As he's molding us and shaping us according to his image, we become his love. We become his joy. We, we become reflectors of his light in the world around us. And, and the people that we know are, are blessed by what he's doing in us on the journey, continually pursuing the Lord. He does such significant things in us that we begin to value process, like getting into a classic car and driving on an old state route and just seeing the scenery and enjoying the ride. We, we pursue the Savior and we discover that the process of pursuing him has such value that we enjoy the ride. We, we begin to learn about how we can pursue him better. How do we do that? By choosing to surrender the things that we value to him, our time our attention, and we shut off all the things that are distracting us, and we open up our Bible and begin reading. And we discover the meaning that Scripture has for our lives here and now. And we open it up again tomorrow. And even if we read the same passage, sometimes we, we discover new meaning as we're going on that journey, as we're continually pursuing our Savior. We, we see how significant his word is to us each and every time that we read it. Each and every time we dive into it, we, we see how he is molding us and shaping us through that process. We spend time in prayer talking to God about life. Not trying to say the right churchy sounding words to please God, but just sharing our hearts with him. Here's what happened today. Here's the things that I failed at. Here's where I was frustrated. Here's where I saw beauty in your creation. Here's where I saw that you answered my prayers from yesterday. Thank you, God. And as we're talking to him, as we're growing in his presence, we discover how much he's changing us along the way, how different we are than we were last month and last year. And we see that on this journey, 
God is doing significant things in our lives. We begin to, to serve his church and his kingdom. We begin to evangelize the lost. We begin to care about people. We, we discover what generosity looks like. We dive into these spiritual disciplines that grow us in the process, and we see that the journey has such deep meaning for us that we just continue pursuing the Savior. We dedicate ourselves to his presence, and we continue to be blessed. The end of the story as verses 13 through 23. If you want to turn there, we'll, we'll finish this up. When they had gone, the Magi, who worshiped Jesus and went by another route back to their country, when they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt, where he stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet. Out of Egypt I will call my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. He gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophet that he would be called a Nazarene. Now, this part of the story, I read it, and I think it, this seems very reactionary. Mary and Joseph have baby Jesus. They hear Herod is going to kill him, trying to kill him, and so they run from Herod. They have God in the flesh, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, and they're running from Herod, fleeing to Egypt. They wait there. And, and, and then on their way to return, they hear that Herod's son is, is reigning. And so again, they hide from the ruler of the land and they go to Nazareth. And I think, what, do they not know what they're doing? Do they not know that they have God in the flesh here? Why are they so scared? And I start to wonder what it would be like to be the parents of Jesus. Did Mary and Joseph have this very detailed plan about how to raise the Messiah? Did they know day in and day out the process they would need to go to, through to help Jesus fulfill his identity? No. What they had was a very clear message from an angel before Jesus was born. Mary, will you carry the Son of God? Yes, I'm your servant. Joseph, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Okay. And then we have these messages. Ah. Take the baby to Egypt. Ah, bring him back, but don't go right to Jerusalem. Take him to Nazareth. And they're obedient to where God is calling them in the moment. Can you imagine how overwhelmed and uncertain they would feel about the significance of raising this boy? I imagine it felt an awful lot like what each and every one of us has felt when we have a, the first child. And we hold this baby in our arms and we think, what in the world am I going to do? How am I going to keep this child alive? 
And yet, as we go through the process, as we learn how to change diapers and feed a child, we discover that it becomes second nature. That as we see needs, we we meet those needs. As decisions come up, we make those decisions and and we see the the fruit of those decisions or we see how they don't work out and we stop doing them and, and make changes. This is what Mary and Joseph would have done. They had free will to choose. When the angel appeared to Mary and said, you have been, you are highly favored by God. You've been chosen to carry the son of God. She had a right to choose whether or not she would comply with that calling. And she did. And for the rest of that time of her raising Jesus, she had decisions to make all along the way to continue to pursue the will of God, to to continue to decide how she and Joseph were going to raise this child. That's what it is for us. As we pursue Christ, when we have a relationship with him, that's what our lives look like as we continue to, to, to pursue them, as we continue to discover what life looks like. We have instructions given to us in God's word. We have scripture to tell us the overarching rules about living according to God's will. Do we have specific instructions about the decisions we make each and every day? No. We're all in the same boat trying to discover what God's will is for us, trying to discover what decisions are right and best for the future so that we can be a part of what he's doing in the world around us. And as we say yes to God, as we surrender to what we believe that will to be, we then see, as a result of those decisions, these little glimpses that God reveals to us of how he is working in our lives, how he is working through our lives. And and we get that affirmation, yeah, this this really is where God is calling me. I see how fulfilling this is. I see how significant this is. I see how God is using me to, to reach the lost. And sometimes we get to a place where we go, oh, wow, this isn't working at all. <laughs> I thought this is what God was calling me to, but it's really not. And I need to make a change. I need to, I need to stop pursuing the stuff that I want to do and see where God is calling me and surrender my desire, surrender my hope, and just trust that God's plan, even though it isn't really what I want, it is best, is right, is going to lead me into this life that, so much more fulfilling and successful than I could have pursued on my own. And we discover God's will for us as we surrender to him, as we do our best to discern where he's calling us and continually pursue a relationship with him. That's what it means for us to begin with the right heart, to check our motives and get them in place and pursue Christ as Lord and Savior, and then to continue pursuing that relationship to continue pursuing a life lived according to his will. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the message that we received from your word. We thank you for this incredible story of the birth of Jesus. And and we're so grateful that it meets us where we are and teaches us about our life with you. God, I ask now that you would continually put within us a desire for your presence, that you would put within us a drive to pursue you and, and to be changed along that journey, that you would work in us in ways that we we may not even understand here and now, but that we would see your hand in everything. We thank you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.